Now, let me just give you a little opening. Let me get my computer, my, actually my iPad open, when you are going to be interested in the teaching today. As we study Acts 21, that's where you can turn to in your Bibles or your iPads or iPhones, Acts 21, we're going to see Paul going to Jerusalem. And as he goes, there's going to be a lot of basically problems. He knows that God told him to go there. He's going to see many other people say, no, the Holy Spirit says, Paul, you can't go there. It's too dangerous. Don't go there. Now, many commentators, as they study this passage, it's this, this, this. Well, he wasn't right. No, he was right. He didn't hear God. Oh, yes, he did hear God. So I'll try to solve that for you, but it's a kind of a dicey thing that goes through. But the ending is very, very powerful. So you'll see what this does. When we get to the end, you'll discover there's a difference between the end of the law and the grace when Jesus Christ went to the cross. You cannot become a Christian by earning it. Keeping the law, nobody could keep the law anyway. When Jesus came, he took care of our sin problem. Could we hear an amen right there? It's not, that's why we're going to celebrate communion. Now, if you turn in your Bibles, as I said, to Acts 21. Today's title is this, Trust God's Will in Every Situation. Now, this is where it's going. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that God's will is always the best for us. You and I could never come up with a better plan as God directs us every day in his will. What to do, the steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered by the Lord. Now, Every Christ follower wants to know and to do God's will. Now, we know that because our role model is Jesus. Now, watch his two statements, John 6, 38. You guys online and those watching for our other campuses. For I have come down from heaven, Jesus speaking, not to do my will, but to the will of of him who sent me. So you already know, Jesus didn't come here to have his own will. The Father told him what to do, and he did it. Now look at next. John 4, 34. My food, which means my purpose, why I, when I get up in the morning, why am I doing that, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We learned last week that Paul said the same thing. He says, I want to go, and I want to finish what God asked me to do, and whatever. I want to finish it with joy, and so that God knows where he placed me, how he gave me the three missions, trips. I want to finish it with joy. And I told you last week, all of us really want to finish. Wherever God has placed you, and he keeps you there, just want to finish it with joy. Amen. We want to do what God wants. Now, you're going to discover that Paul believes he knows the will of God for this trip. He absolutely knows it's going to be there. So pay attention to this verse. Acts 20, I have it for you, 22 and 23. And now, Paul speaking, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that 
will happen, what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, now think of that, every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So we'll explain that as we get to the end. So he knows God says to go. I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. Remember, he's a Jew, and he loves the Jewish people. Now, Paul believes he should go to Jerusalem because he wants to celebrate Pentecost. You know, when thousands of Jews came from all over the world. And remember, he's carrying a gift of money from many churches of Gentiles because the Jerusalem people were hurting. They didn't have food and so forth. So he is bringing that gift uh, and delivering that gift of money, which have been connect, uh, basically given by many of the Gentile churches. So he's, that's the second reason. But as he goes now, you're going to see he's going to leave, and he's going to head up there to Jerusalem. When you hear why it says up to Jerusalem, it's because Jerusalem is high. It's not a low place. It's a high place. He says he's going to hear other voices telling him that this trip to Jerusalem is not the will of God. And so he's going to have to balance that and figure out what he's going to do. Now, for all of us, there are hindrances to knowing God's will. Here's the big one for us. Our old sin nature says, I want my will, God. If I need it, I'll talk to you. I want my will. It doesn't work that way. It's dead end after dead end after dead end. Second, Satan lies to us. Oh, that is not what God told you to do. You didn't hear God at all. Well, what is Satan? He's a liar. So never believe Satan. Never. He's very deceptive. And you're going to see it many times at the end of this teaching. And number three, sometimes other people will say, well, Pastor Mark, I doubt that's what God said to you. Well, I know maybe they mean well, but if God's going to speak to us, I'll take what God says to me. You got it? Okay. Now, let's see what we can learn doing uh, the will of God as we watch the Apostle Paul struggle through this. Now, Acts 21, 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, just stop and look at me. Where had he been last week? He's at the church of Ephesus, and he says, all his younger disciples, you're going to take over for me. I'm leaving. I'll probably never be back again to see you. And they all got down and cried because he was leaving. So here's where it says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, that's what he's talking about, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes, and from there, Batara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. We just got on and headed there. Verse 3, after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south, we sailed to Syria. As I read that, I wondered, I hope you have a triple A thing telling you how to get where you're going. This guy's going everywhere. Now, we landed at Tyre. Our ship was to unload its cargo. Verse 4, finding, keyword, the disciples there 
We stayed with them seven days. Now, he doesn't know these disciples, but he's going to stay with them for seven days. I'm going to give you a, quite a few God wills and little statements after them. So if you want to write them, they're actually good for you to write because it helps us to do this because you and I have the will of God often. Every day, God directs us different ways. So look at it. God's will. Be a disciple of Christ. You see, step one when you come to Christ is salvation. But it never just ends there. Step two is becoming a disciple of Christ, and a disciple is simply a lifelong learner under discipline. That's the great commission that God gave all of us. And so, basically, when you see that, Paul knows, if he's around these disciples that he doesn't know yet, he knows that he can be used, that God directed him there for a purpose, to build them up and encourage them. Now, how long is Paul going to stay with these disciples? Seven days. Seven days. So here's something interesting. God's will. Practice hospitality. See, Paul loved to be around people. He loved to be around people because he knew he could be, basically, I already said, to take them and move them on. That's what he did on his missionary tours. He took these new believers, made them disciples, and they grew and grew and grew. Now, here's something else. Basically, God's will, practice hospitality. I remember many years ago, I taught this sermon, open heart, open home. And so the homes where these disciples were opened it up to basically Paul to stay there. They didn't know him. This is his first time there, but they, they were just open. So First Peter, Paul says this, this. No, he's, he knows what Peter said. Watch this. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So he simply basically opens the home. Paul goes in there saying, come on in. Come on in. We've heard about you, but we've never met you. This will be good. This will help the disciples even grow more. So come on in. Now, years ago, when we had started this church, we put in a commons. We put in a commons. And when we did that, it had a cafe with it as well, as you know. Many of you are out there uh, listening from the cafe right now. And all of a sudden, uh, a, lo a local news reporter wrote me. And I didn't remember where that article was from, but he basically called and said this. He said, I couldn't get over a church has a cafe. This was many years ago when we put it in. And he says, where people can just fellowship with one another. And I basically had related to him and said, well, we did that because people like to fellowship with one another. They like to hang out together. And, uh, and basically, he went, okay, and it was okay. Now, let me just say something. Thank you. You and I need to continue to hang out. We need to continue to invite people to your home once in a while, have somebody invite you to home once in a while. You know, what the Bible says is together is what? Is better. Hello? Has, has the virus tried to kill that? Yeah, but God hasn't. God hasn't at all. 
Now, when you think all of that, it's just a beautiful picture. So I just want to encourage you. Get into a small group. We're getting started in small groups in the fall. Just get in them. They'll be ready. And great fellowship will happen. Now, Acts 21 through 14. Here we go. Though the Spirit, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now here, here's the spirit. These disciples. God's will. Be a spirit-filled disciple. So while Paul is entire, some of the spirit-filled disciples told Paul through prophecy that he would experience trouble in Jerusalem. And they're saying to him, do not go there. So here's a situation where Paul is confused. He knew God said to go there. But now he's confused. Did I not hear God right? Because these are spirit-filled disciples. We say the spirit told us, urged Paul, no, don't go. Now, did these believers through the same spirit that Paul heard? Was there a contradiction with the Holy Spirit? No, the Holy Spirit is never a person that contradicts what he says. So we know Paul was not surprised with the trouble that the Holy Spirit predicted. Remember, God had already said, yes, I want you to go to Jerusalem, but there's going to be trouble. He wanted to warn him up front. So right after Saul, Paul became a believer in Jesus. God used a man called Ananias. Now, let me just go back for a moment. Paul, whose name was Saul, he hated Jesus. He was killing Christians everywhere in Israel. He was in, uh, going to Damascus, and he was going to grab more Christians, kill them, put them in jail. And he was there. All of a sudden, he hears a voice and a light from heaven, and it was Jesus. And he says, Paul, I am the Messiah. You don't believe in me. You tell me that's ridiculous. Well, I'm speaking to you from heaven. I am the Jews' Messiah. I have come, and I died on the cross for you. So as that happened, his eyes were blinded, and he said, I'm going to call to the Spirit a man named Ananias. Now, he's a believer in Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm sending Saul to your house. And Ananias goes, who are you sending to my house? Uh, Saul kills Christians. He'll know I'm a Christian. Are you sure, God? God says, absolutely. And I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to ask you to touch him, heal his eyes so his eyes can be open. Number two, I want you to lay your hands on him because he needs to be filled with the Spirit of God because he can't do what I'm going to ask him to do. And then he says to Ananias, I'm going to show you what Paul's future is, and you will have to tell him. Now, that's dicey. Now, here's what it was. Take a look, Acts 9, 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before 
the people of Israel. So who are his focus? Gentiles. Still loves Jews. Focus is what God's saying. You'll be fine with the Jews. I know you will. But I'm telling you, the Gentiles don't understand anything about Jesus. And so I want you, that's going to be a focus for you, and they're kings and the people, obviously, of Israel, before the people. Now, look at the last line. I will show him Paul has got this truth from Ananias right to his mind. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, how about getting that plan from God? You will suffer if you serve me. Well, it's exactly what God said. So he knew that he had the right plan. He knew that God spoke to him. That as at the start before he even really had one or two days as being a Christian. This is brand new for him. So the Spirit didn't tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It was the people who urged Paul not to go because naturally they loved him and they were basically anxious about his safety. Now look at verse 5. But when our time was up, they left after that seven days. We left and continued on our way. All the disciples, their wives, and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. Look at verse 6. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. So all the families came together with their children on the beach, and then basically prayed. Now, here's a picture of something that's hugely important. Look at the top of this. Look at the top before the picture. God's will. Parents, be a godly role model for your family. Make sure you're praying together. That's what was happening. As Paul leaves, they all get together and they pray. Now, the, the adults would have prayed for Paul what? Protect him while he's there. The kids don't know that. But guys, this is huge. Linda and I have a prayer list on our dinner tables just in the kitchen. And we write people... And then when God takes care of it and answers prayer, or we have to add new people. Just the other day, we had numbers of prayers answered, and we had to add new people that are sick. We pray for them. By the, by the way, we, we pray for our son and daughter, and we pray for our grandkids because they're always calling us and want answers to questions. They're Christians and whatever. Those things are beautiful. Guys, when we're having a child and is born into our life, that child is not just a child. That child is an eternal soul forever. And we have to love our kids enough to pray for them and be with them. And let me just read this. I wrote it down because I think it's so important. Nothing can take the place of a parent taking time with their own children, sharing Bible truths, and praying with them. That's how I got saved. My mom and dad came into my room when I was five years old. And they said, Mark, do you want to be a Christian? I said, yes, I don't understand all of it, but I do want to be a Christian and go to heaven. They kneel down and pray. I'll never forget it. And that's, guess, I'm 77. Look how long. That was God. So I just want to challenge you. 
Nothing can take the place. Nothing can take the place of a child student watching their parent also live a real Christian life at home and serve God at church because they really want to please God. Thank you. So maybe you've moved away from that. I'm not saying you do it every morning or anything like that, but don't forget your children and your grandchildren. When we go out to Denver and we see our grandchildren, you know, they're older, older, older now, and that means I'm getting older, older, older now, and we all just walk with them some days by myself, my wife, and we just pray for them right there because this world for kids and youth is difficult, very difficult, but we sang this morning, God is greater. God is greater. So thank you for listening and get there and do what we just said. Now, verse 8, leaving, ba- seven, sorry. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them only one day. Verse 8, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. By the way, in uh, next week on Monday, we leave for Israel. We will be in Caesarea. Maybe I'll be able to do a video right from there because you'll remember it when we get there. This is the same Philip. Notice, leaving that day, they got there and they stayed at the house of Philip. Now, notice in that verse, the evangelist. Interesting change in Philip's life. An evangelist. Now, when you see all of that happening, uh, when you watch the name Philip, this is the same Philip that we saw 20 years before. So all this time, he's been in Caesarea. And he's, when he started in Jerusalem, that's where he started before his girls were born and all of that, he was one of those people called basically uh, a deacon. The church was exploding in Jerusalem, but then there was arguments between the Greek and the Jewish um, moms and and older ladies, and nobody's feeding us balanced. So basically, the apostles said, look, we're going to get some disciples there. We're going to call them deacons and get them ready. So they got seven deacons, and they solved that problem. Now, after they got that problem solved, basically it was good, but Saul entered as an enemy to the church. Now, here, let me show you what it is, Acts 8.1. Saul was there. Look at me for a moment. Stephen was a great Christian, and he went before the Jews, and he spent a long sermon proving them from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. They missed it. And they got so mad at Stephen, the Jews, they stoned him to death. And Paul was at the back doing this. Get rid of the idiot. He's a liar. There is, Jesus is not the Messiah. And so let's go back to what we were reading. He loved Stephen being murdered. So notice what it says. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, watch what happens. A great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. It was panicking. The other Christians are going, 
are we going to end up like Stephen? And here's what happened. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So Saul, who later became Paul, had a death wish for all of the Christians. So he had watched that stoning, and now the church, the people that were in Jerusalem, Christians, they had to scatter to the other parts of Israel. And Philip was one that was scattered, and he was scattered to Samaria. He left Jerusalem and went to that other area where he began using a new gift that God gave him when he was there. It was the gift of an evangelist. While Philip was there, God began to work in his life supernaturally. An angel came to Philip and said to Philip, I want you to go to Gaza out in the wilderness and meet a man from Ethiopia. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. He had been in Israel, in Jerusalem, trying to find out if Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't really have much background at all. And of course, in Jerusalem, they're going to say, oh, definitely not the Messiah. Definitely not the Messiah at all. So he leaves, and he's headed back, basically, to Ethiopian with no answers. So basically, the angel said, I want you to go, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell the truth to this Ethiopian eunuch that Jesus is the Messiah. And when, basically, Philip went there, he didn't know where he was going. He'd never seen the man. And then when he got there, and the kind of the caravan came by, and the Holy Spirit said, go up and show the man the verses in the Old Testament. So he went to the Old Testament, and he proved that Jesus had fulfilled what the Bible said he should do. And the next thing is, he became a Christian, and then all of a sudden he said, wow, I finally found the answer from you. Where are you from? Whatever. Well, I'm from Samaria, and an angel came and told me to do this. And then all of a sudden Philip says, okay, you're a Christian now. That's good. Next thing you have to do, you have to be baptized in water. So they found some water. He went to the water. He did all of that. And basically, it was a beautiful picture. Now, where does this Ethiopian eunuch go? Back to Ethiopia. Where does he take? He takes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see how God works? It's just amazing. Philip honored it. The will of God was to go to Gaza. He did everything God did. The Ethiopian eunuch went back home. And the, by the way, when you, go to Jew, when you go to Israel sometimes, there's Ethiopian Jews who have been born again in Israel. Lots of them, all those years ago. See, God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, when you see all of that, here's what happens. So the last, basically, verse 40, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched, <laughs> I can't believe it, snatched Philip away. We don't know exactly what that meant. Probably like the Holy Spirit. Woo! Here we go. And he goes all the way to Caesarea. He goes all the way there. Now, there's some understanding that he even stopped on the way some, maybe left him a little short, and he talked to other cities, but he ends up in Caesarea. So for the last 20 years, Philip ended up in Caesarea where he and his family had been serving God faithfully for the last 20 years. So here's a great picture. Think of that, 20 years and you're going to see his daughters, they're just consistent. So here's God's will to write down. Be a consistent and faithful disciple just like Philip. 
He, you, 20 years ago, he said, well, no, I gave up on God. No, 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 no. Just be consistent. Satan wants you to be that way. Uh, uh, inconsistent. God wants you to be consistent. Now, as I look around, I just want to say, because many of you have been here for a long time. This next, next March will be 30 years as a church. God has been blessing us. And all of you guys that have been here for so long, and you new people now, they're more regular than ever, wonderful. I just want to say thank you. Thank you, because you're serving with your heart, your soul, and your mind, and that encourages me. Thank you for being faithful, just like Philip was. Now, watch me. This is Philip's home. Hey, hon, I'll get the door. Philip goes to the door. Who, who are you? Now, remember, 20 years difference. You got it right. 20 years difference. Ever look at your pictures from 20 years ago and say, was that me? Yeah, exactly. Now, so he's there, and Paul says, well, my name is Paul. It used to be Saul. Honey, stand away from the door, please. <laughs> you can imagine what his emotions are. Here's the guy that caused his whole life to be turned upside down, moved out where he wanted to be. And how's he going to handle those emotions? Well, Philip was spirit-filled. Here's what he knew. If God sent Paul, who used to be Saul, to my door, God has a purpose for this. That can't just happen. God had a purpose for this. So he stands there, and he just basically says, God has orchestrated that. Let me learn something from this. Now, think of that. A former energy comes to stay as a guest in your home. And I'm sure when they were there, he's trying to say, what happened with your name change? Why your life looks like it's changed totally. Do you believe in Jesus now? Well, of course. I talked to him from heaven. And that would have been a great visitation. Now, here's what I want you to write. God's will is to see lives changed. That's what he saw. You talk about a huge change. People that was killing Christians who now was a Christian himself. Paul writes this in the Bible because he knew it was an amazing thing God did in his life. Look at it. Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and his wisdom and his knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and methods. God is still changing lives today. Don't ever, ever for any of us lose the wonder of a changed life. No person is beyond God changing them into a follower of Jesus Christ. Not one. God can change any person. You guys that are listening, you're not Christians yet, he can change you at the end of the service, and it will change you for life. So just listen up. Now, basically, Philip had a, basically, verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters. They were virgins who had the gift of prophecy. Now, look at this. Here's my kind of statement to you, God's will. Men and women are to use their spiritual gifts. 
Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, mentions the minister gift of Philip's four daughters, the gift of prophecy. The New Testament affirms that women and men are equal, of course, in God's eyes, even though they may have different roles in the home and the church. This was radical in those days, thousands of years ago, that a very male-dominated society ran the whole system. But it had changed totally because of the New Testament. Now, basically, Paul knew that was right because Peter had predicted on the day of Pentecost a change. Look at here. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Look what it goes to. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So that just balances out that that was the ta- basically the starting of women and men serving in the church. Different gifts, different roles. But I just want to say, start with And men, I want you to get ready. I just want you to, in a moment, clap for the ladies that are here because they they are very, very valuable to our church because they have lots of different gifts that men don't have. They're just different. So would you just clap for the ladies that are serving us? (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, I I want you ladies to clap for those guys that you're attached to. Come on. There you go. And as I look out there, does it matter what color skin you are? Does it matter how old you are or how tall you are like me? No, God loves us all. Amen? We're the same. We're made out of the same everything. The DNA, all of us. We came from Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. Now, so watch this. After we had been down there a number of days, they're still at Philip's house, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now watch what happens. Verse 11. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it. Paul's probably trying to say, what what do you mean taking my belt? And he took that belt of Paul's and wrapped it around his hands, and then he wrapped it around his feet. He was doing a visual for the Apostle Paul. And what he said was this. The Holy Spirit says, remember, he's a prophet. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, this is very interesting because we have another challenge for Paul and God's will. Remember, this prophet, Agabus, who had earlier predicted a famine in Judea, it took place. And Paul is thinking, this guy is usually right on from God because he had the gift. So Agabus predicts through the Holy Spirit that Paul will be bound and handed over to the Jews if he continues to go to Jerusalem. Well, verse 12, when we, which is some of the groups, people that were with Paul, but basically Luke, heard this, we and the people there, 
Agabus is there. Paul's there. Pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Do not go there. Because Paul's friends loved him, they all plead with him. Don't go. This is another clear warning to Paul. What will he do? He's not confused, but he's wondering, how do I respond to this? Look at this verse in Acts 21, 13. Look at this verse. Then Paul answered. He's answering his own question. What am I going to do? Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? So that promise, supposedly from the Holy Spirit, was breaking his heart. I am ready not only to be bound. It's specific for this prediction. I am ready not only to be bound, but look at this, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. See, he didn't care. He was already with Christ. He knew where he was going to go when he died. He says, there's Jews all over Jerusalem, and they don't know Jesus Christ. He says, it's okay. I'm ready to be bound, and we'll see more next week. He's going to get beat up like crazy. But he says, I'm also ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14. And when he would not be dissuaded, that was his answer to them, which probably shocked them. We gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Say it with me. The Lord's will be done. Come on. The Lord's will be done. They knew he's going forward. And he believed that it was the Holy Spirit. That's a great statement. The Lord's will be done. Now, long before this challenge, Paul had already made up his mind to always do the will of God, no matter what. I'm a finisher. God told me, I don't care about the issues, the side issues. I'm going forward. So there's lots of different, basically, Paul had already made his mind up. I'm going that way. That was him. He's, he's all in. We call it like that. I believe that the Holy Spirit, here's a solution. He's confused. But not really confused. But the people are confused. Why is the Holy Spirit saying this? Why are the people saying this? Don't go, don't go, don't, don't, don't go, don't go. And many commentators, when you read the commentaries, they're confused themselves. People can't come to the answer. So this is a, I think, a good balanced answer of what was really happening. Because I, I read this from a great commentator, and I thought, okay, that's the answer. So watch me on the overhead. Let me ask you these questions right now. When you had, was Paul right or was Paul wrong to go to Jerusalem? Did Paul obey God or did he disobey God? Well, here's what I came up with. I believe that the Holy Spirit had told Paul to go to, to Jerusalem to prepare him for the dangers that would come. It wouldn't be a shock to him. It's going to be tough. Paul, are you okay with it? Yes, I am. So there it is. And then the second part is this. Prepare him for the dangers, not to prevent him, scaring him, going to Jerusalem. 
So Paul was right. He obeyed God, God's will. When God says to do it, then we need to just do it. That's what he said. You warned me? Thank you. That's better than a surprise getting in and finding out I'm going to be beat up and so forth. By the way, next week, you'll know, God opens the door and supernaturally makes a way for Paul. So God had that already. Paul doesn't know that, but you'll see it next week. Now, Romans 9, 1 through 3. This is a very moving verse. Paul writes, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter, utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Now look at this. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Wow. That's very close to Jesus. I'll die for the whole world, said they'll come to Christ. Paul says, I'll do the same thing, different, not on the cross, but who knows what he means. But his heart, what do you see there? That's Paul's heart for who? The Jews. He's a Jew. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. If I have to give up everything and, and I just walk away from God, and that will save my Jewish brothers or sisters, I'm all in. Now, that only can come from God. You and I couldn't make that our plan by ourselves. Impossible. Now, look at verse 15. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. <laughs> Guess who lost right there? Satan. He got there. So there's one defeat for Satan. He's trying to keep him with all these other people not to go there. Verse 16. Now, some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. So he's going, oh, this is a good start. This is a good start. I don't know when the other start's going to happen, but this is good. Verse 18. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's Jesus' half-brother. And all the elders were present. Verse 19, after greeting them, I'll read this in the New Living, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among him through the Gentiles in his ministry. Remember, he had three missionary journeys, and most of that, there were Jews, but most of them were Gentiles, and God had just blessed. So he gave them this detail of all those missions that he'd been on. Verse 20, when they heard this, they praised God because they knew Jews were saved too. And then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed? So they came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But look at the last part of that. And all of them are zealous for the law. So they can't break the law in the Old Testament from the new covenant of Jesus dying. They were very thankful also for the offering that came that brought food, money, and so forth. And the leaders tell Paul that while he has been gone, thousands of Jews 
and become believers, but they were very sensitive. You must keep the law. And, of course, that goes totally against. The law has been destroyed, and it's there. God gave us the law to help a lot in the Old Testament, but in the end, nobody could keep the law. Nobody. That's why he basically can save us with grace. Now, look what happens. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. This rumor was a lie from Satan. Absolutely a lie. Paul never said that, but got them so angry because they were into the law, even though they accepted Christ. Man, he... Satan was after them. So the Christian community of Jerusalem heard these false rumors about Paul. They heard he had become essentially anti-Jewish. Absolutely a lie. And basically, the, the Jewish Christians said it was wrong to continue in those things. He said, I never, ever, ever did that. Now, here's the solution, and we'll be through in a moment. Look at verse 22 to 24. What shall we do? The leaders are saying, how are you going to solve that problem between Jesus is alive with grace, and of course we know Jesus died for us. The blood of Jesus saves us, but the law is over. It's finished. It's been moved to Jesus, and it's grace and trusting by faith. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come here to do what we tell you. So here's their solution. There are four men with us who have made a vow. That would have been a Nazarite vow where they get their head shaved and so forth and become more pure for a period of time. These men join in the perfect, uh, they've already joined in the purification rites and pay you, we want you to pay their expenses. How about that? So that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you but you, that you yourself are living in the obedience of the law. Verse 26. The next day, Paul took them in and purified himself among with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Now, Paul, we don't think, ever did that. Remember the offerings in the Old Testament would be for sin, it would be for peace, it would be for all things. And the offering was killing an animal and spilling their blood. And basically, Jesus did all of that on the cross. He shared his blood. That's why we're going to sell communion in a moment. And that one time solved sin for the whole world, not coming over and over and over again with more of these basically purification uh, things happening and then giving and killing an animal. So when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up a whole crowd and seized him. They claimed that Paul was against the Jews and the law, but these accusations were unfounded. Here we go. Lying Satan is at work again. But next week, you will see something very powerful. God basically will rescue Paul supernaturally. Now, why was Paul in Jerusalem? Here it is. God sent Paul to Jerusalem to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Seek and save the lost. See, most of the Jews, even today, don't believe Jesus was a Messiah. 
But God is also doing a work in Israel. I've been there numbers of times and seen this. God is just opening the eyes of many Jews today, and they're believing in Jesus Christ totally as their personal Savior. That's a beautiful thing. But there's many, still 2,000 years ago, are like them. They don't believe that. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come, but he's already come. So here's my last God's will. God wants everyone to have a personal relation with Jesus. Now, those of you that are not Christians or those of you that used to be, but you've walked away, I have a question for you in love. Are you ready to do God's will? Are you ready to admit that you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for you. He paid for your sins. It is finished. It's over. But the next step is you to actually say to God, I'm sorry I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins, and I'm ready to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. Quietly, you pray it under your voice, wherever you're at, online, our campuses, here, up in the balcony, wherever you're at. Pray that prayer, mean it to God, and the minute you pray that, your whole life will change. So just repeat this after me. Basically, here's a promise that you have from Paul. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, 100%. Here we go. Today, God, I know I've been reminded I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross, not only for my sin, but for everyone. And you were resurrected from the dead, proving that you were the Messiah. So today, I turn from my sins, and I choose to follow you as my Savior and my Lord. I know, gal, this salvation is a gift. I never could have been good enough to earn it. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me. And today, I'm excited. I begin a whole new life, and I look forward to a life of joy, hope, purpose, and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just give you a little opening. Let me get my computer, my, actually my iPad open, when you are going to be interested in the teaching today. As we study Acts 21, that's where you can turn to in your Bibles or your iPads or iPhones, Acts 21, we're going to see Paul going to Jerusalem. And as he goes, there's going to be a lot of basically problems. He knows that God told him to go there. He's going to see many other people say, no, the Holy Spirit says, Paul, you can't go there. It's too dangerous. Don't go there. Now, many commentators, as they study this passage, it's 
this, this, this. Yeah, he wasn't right. No, he was right. He didn't hear God. Oh, yes, he did hear God. So I'll try to solve that for you, but it's a kind of a dicey thing that goes through. But the ending is very, very powerful. So you'll see what this does. When we get to the end, you'll discover there's a difference between the end of the law and the grace when Jesus Christ went to the cross. You cannot become a Christian by earning it. Keeping the law, nobody could keep the law anyway. When Jesus came, he took care of our sin problem. Could we hear an amen right there? It's not, that's why we're going to celebrate communion. Now, if you turn in your Bibles, as I said, to Acts 21. Today's title is this, Trust God's Will in Every Situation. Now, this is where it's going. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that God's will is always the best for us. You and I could never come up with a better plan as God directs us every day in his will. What to do, the steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered by the Lord. Now, Every Christ follower wants to know and to do God's will. Now, we know that because our role model is Jesus. Now, watch his two statements, John 6, 38. You guys online and those watching from our other campuses. For I have come down from heaven, Jesus speaking, not to do my will, but to the will of of him who sent me. So you already know, Jesus didn't come here to have his own will. The Father told him what to do, and he did it. Now look at next. John 4, 34. My food, which means my purpose, why I, when I get up in the morning, why am I doing that, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We learned last week that Paul said the same thing. He says, I want to go, and I want to finish what God asked me to do, and whatever. I want to finish it with joy, and so that God knows where he placed me, how he gave me the three missions, trips. I want to finish it with joy. And I told you last week, all of us really want to finish. Wherever God has placed you, and he keeps you there, just want to finish it with joy. Amen. We want to do what God wants. Now, you're going to discover that Paul believes he knows the will of God for this trip. He absolutely knows it's going to be there. So pay attention to this verse. Acts 20, I have it for you, 22 and 23. And now, Paul speaking, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that will happen, what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, now think of that, every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So we'll explain that as we get to the end. So he knows God says to go. I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. Remember, he's a Jew, and he loves the Jewish people. Now, Paul believes he should go to Jerusalem because he wants to celebrate Pentecost, you know, when thousands of Jews came from all over the world. And remember, he's carrying a gift of money 
from many churches of Gentiles because the Jerusalem people were hurting. They didn't have food and so forth. So he is bringing that gift uh, and delivering that gift of money, which have been connect, uh, basically given by many of the Gentile churches. So he's, that's the second reason. But as he goes now, you're going to see he's going to leave and he's going to head up there to Jerusalem. When you hear why it says up to Jerusalem, it's because Jerusalem is high. It's not a low place. It's a high place. He says he's going to hear other voices telling him that this trip to Jerusalem is not the will of God. And so he's going to have to balance that and figure out what he's going to do. Now, for all of us, there are hindrances to knowing God's will. Here's the big one for us. Our old sin nature says, I want my will, God. If I need it, I'll talk to you. I want my will. It doesn't work that way. It's dead end after dead end after dead end. Second, Satan lies to us. Oh, that is not what God told you to do. You didn't hear God at all. Well, what is Satan? He's a liar. So never believe Satan. Never. He's very deceptive. And you're going to see it many times at the end of this teaching. And number three, sometimes other people will say, well, Pastor Mark, I doubt that's what God said to you. Well, I know maybe they mean well, but if God's going to speak to us, I'll take what God says to me. You got it? Okay. Now, let's see what we can learn doing uh, the will of God as we watch the Apostle Paul struggle through this. Now, Acts 21, 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, just stop and look at me. Where had he been last week? He's at the church of Ephesus, and he says, all his younger disciples, you're going to take over for me. I'm leaving. I'll probably never be back again to see you. And they all got down and cried because he was leaving. So here's where it says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, that's what he's talking about, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes, and from there, Batara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. We just got on and headed there. Verse 3, after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south, we sailed to Syria. As I read that, I wondered, I hope you have a triple A thing telling you how to get where you're going. This guy's going everywhere. Now, we landed at Tyre. Our ship was to unload its cargo. Verse 4, finding, keyword, the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Now, he doesn't know these disciples, but he's going to stay with them for seven days. I'm going to give you a, quite a few God wills and little statements after them. So if you want to write them, they're actually good for you to write because it helps us to do this because you and I, have the will of God often, every day. God directs us different ways. So look at it. God's will. Be a disciple of Christ. You see, step one when you come to Christ is salvation. But it never just ends there. Step two is becoming a disciple of Christ. 
And a disciple is simply a lifelong learner under discipline. That's the great commission that God gave all of us. And so, basically, when you see that, Paul knows, if he's around these disciples that he doesn't know yet, he knows that he can be used, that God directed him there for a purpose, to build them up and encourage them. Now, how long is Paul going to stay with these disciples? Seven days. Seven days. So, here's something interesting. God's will. Practice hospitality. See, Paul loved to be around people. He loved to be around people because he knew he could be, basically, I already said, to take them and move them on. That's what he did on his missionary tours. He took these new believers, made them disciples, and they grew and grew and grew. Now, here's something else. Basically, God's will, practice hospitality. I remember many years ago, I taught this sermon, open heart, open home. And so the homes where these disciples were opened it up to basically Paul to stay there. They didn't know him. This is his first time there, but they, they were just open. So First Peter, Paul says this, this. No, he's, he knows what Peter said. Watch this. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So he simply basically opens the home. Paul goes in there saying, come on in. Come on in. We've heard about you, but we've never met you. This will be good. This will help the disciples even grow more. So come on in. Now, years ago, when we had started this church, we put in a commons. We put in a commons. And when we did that, it had a cafe with it as well, as you know. Many of you are out there uh, listening from the cafe right now. And all of a sudden, uh, a, lo a local news reporter wrote me. And I didn't remember where that article was from, but he basically called and said this. He said, I couldn't get over a church has a cafe. This was many years ago when we put it in. And he says, where people can just fellowship with one another. And I basically had related to him and said, well, we did that because people like to fellowship with one another. They like to hang out together. And, uh, and basically, he went, okay. And it was okay. Now, let me just say something. Thank you. You and I need to continue to hang out. We need to continue to invite people to your home once in a while. Have somebody invite you to home once in a while. You know, what the Bible says is, together is what? Is better. Hello? Has, has the virus tried to kill that? Yeah, but God hasn't. God hasn't at all. Now, when you think all of that, it's just a beautiful picture. So I just want to encourage you. Get into a small group. We're getting started in small groups in the fall. Just get in them. They'll be ready. And great fellowship will happen. Now, Acts 21 through 14. Here we go. Though the Spirit, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now here, here's the Spirit. These disciples. God's will. Be a Spirit-filled disciple. So while Paul is in Tyre, some of the Spirit-filled disciples told Paul through prophecy 
that he would experience trouble in Jerusalem. And they're saying to him, do not go there. So here's a situation where Paul is confused. He knew God said to go there. But now he's confused. Did I not hear God right? Because these are spirit-filled disciples. We say the spirit told us, urged Paul, no, don't go. Now, did these believers through the same spirit that Paul heard? Was there a contradiction with the Holy Spirit? No, the Holy Spirit is never a person that contradicts what he says. So we know Paul was not surprised with the trouble that the Holy Spirit predicted. Remember, God had already said, yes, I want you to go to Jerusalem, but there's going to be trouble. He wanted to warn him up front. So right after Saul, Paul became a believer in Jesus, God used a man called Ananias. Now, let me just go back for a moment. Paul, whose name was Saul, he hated Jesus. He was killing Christians everywhere in Israel. He was in, uh, going to Damascus, and he was going to grab more Christians, kill them, put them in jail. And he was there. All of a sudden, he hears a voice and a light from heaven, and it was Jesus. And he says, Paul... I am the Messiah. You don't believe in me. You tell me that's ridiculous. Well, I'm speaking to you from heaven. I am the Jews' Messiah. I have come and I died on the cross for you. So as that happened, his eyes were blinded. And he said, I'm going to call to the Spirit a man named Ananias. Now, he's a believer in Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm sending Saul to your house. And Ananias goes, who are you sending to my house? Uh, Saul kills Christians. He'll know I'm a Christian. Are you sure, God? God says, absolutely. And I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to ask you to touch him, heal his eyes so his eyes can be open. Number two, I want you to lay your hands on him because he needs to be filled with the Spirit of God because he can't do what I'm going to ask him to do. And then he says... To Ananias, I'm going to show you what Paul's future is, and you will have to tell him. Now, that's dicey. Now, here's what it was. Take a look, Acts 9, 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So who are his focus? Gentiles. Still loves Jews. Focus is what God's saying. You'll be fine with the Jews. I know you will. But I'm telling you, the Gentiles don't understand anything about Jesus. And so I want you, that's going to be a focus for you, and they're kings and the people, obviously, of Israel, before the people. Now, look at the last line. I will show him Paul has got this truth from Ananias right to his mind. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, how about getting that plan from God? You will suffer if you serve me. 
That's exactly what God said. So he knew that he had the right plan. He knew that God spoke to him. That was at the start before he even really had one or two days as being a Christian. This is brand new for him. So the Spirit didn't tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It was the people who urged Paul not to go because naturally they loved him and they were basically anxious about his safety. Now look at verse 5. But when our time was up, they left after that seven days. We left and continued on our way. All the disciples, their wives, and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. Look at verse 6. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. So all the families came together with their children on the beach, and they basically prayed. Now, here's a picture of something that's hugely important. Look at the top of this. Look at the top before the picture. God's will. Parents, be a godly role model for your family. Make sure you're praying together. That's what was happening. As Paul leaves, they all get together and they pray. Now, the, the adults would have prayed for Paul what? Protect him while he's there. The kids don't know that. But guys, this is huge. Linda and I have a prayer list on our dinner tables just in the kitchen. And we write people... And then when God takes care of it and answers prayer, or we have to add new people. Just the other day, we had numbers of prayers answered, and we had to add new people that are sick. We pray for them. By the, by the way, we, we pray for our son and daughter, and we pray for our grandkids because they're always calling us and want answers to questions. They're Christians and whatever. Those things are beautiful. Guys, when we're having a child and is born into our life, that child is not just a child. That child is an eternal soul forever. And we have to love our kids enough to pray for them and be with them. And let me just read this. I wrote it down because I think it's so important. Nothing can take the place of a parent taking time with their own children, sharing Bible truths, and praying with them. That's how I got saved. My mom and dad came into my room when I was five years old. And they said, Mark, do you want to be a Christian? I said, yes, I don't understand all of it, but I do want to be a Christian and go to heaven. They kneel down and pray. I'll never forget it. And that's, guess I'm 77. Look how long. That was God. So I just want to challenge you. Nothing can take the place. Nothing can take the place of a child student watching their parent also live a real Christian life at home and serve God at church because they really want to please God. Thank you. So maybe you've moved away from that. I'm not saying you do it every morning or anything like that, but don't forget your children and your grandchildren. When we go out to Denver and we see our grandchildren, you know, they're older, older, older now, and that means I'm getting older, older, older now, and we all just walk with them some days by myself, my wife, and we just pray for them right there. Because this world for kids and youth is difficult, very difficult. But we sang this morning, God is greater. God is greater. So thank you for listening and get there and do what we just said. Now, verse 8. 
Leaving seven, sorry. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them only one day. Verse 8. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. By the way, in uh, next week on Monday, we leave for Israel. We will be in Caesarea. Maybe I'll be able to do a video right from there because you'll remember it when we get there. This is the same Philip. Notice, leaving that day, they got there and they stayed at the house of Philip. Now, notice in that verse, the evangelist. Interesting change in Philip's life. An evangelist. Now, when you see all of that happening, uh, when you watch the name Philip, this is the same Philip that we saw 20 years before. So all this time, he's been in Caesarea. And he's, when he started in Jerusalem, that's where he started before his girls were born and all of that, he was one of those people called basically uh, a deacon. The church was exploding in Jerusalem, but then there was arguments between the Greek and the Jewish um, moms and, and older ladies, and nobody's feeding us balanced. And so basically the apostles said, look, we're going to get some disciples there. We're going to call them deacons and get them ready. So they got seven deacons, and they solved that problem. Now, after they got that problem solved, basically it was good, but Saul entered as an enemy to the church. Now, here, let me show you what it is. Acts 8.1. Saul was there. Look at me for a moment. Stephen was a great Christian. And he went before the Jews, and he spent a long sermon proving them from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. They missed it. And they got so mad at Stephen, the Jews, they stoned him to death. And Paul was at the back doing this. Get rid of the idiot. He's a liar. There is, Jesus is not the Messiah. And so, let's go back to what we were reading. He loved Stephen being murdered. So, notice what it says. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, watch what happens. A great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. It was panicking. The other Christians are going, are we going to end up like Stephen? And here's what happened. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So Saul, who later became Paul, had a death wish for all of the Christians. So he had watched that stoning. And now the church, the people that were in Jerusalem, Christians, they had to scatter to the other parts of Israel. And Philip was one that was scattered and he was scattered to Samaria. He left Jerusalem and went to that other area where he began using a new gift that God gave him when he was there. It was the gift of an evangelist. While Philip was there, God began to work in his life supernaturally. An angel came to Philip 
and said to Philip, I want you to go to Gaza out in the wilderness and meet a man from Ethiopia. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. He had been in Israel, in Jerusalem, trying to find out if Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't really have much background at all. And of course, in Jerusalem, they're going to say, oh, definitely not the Messiah. Definitely not the Messiah at all. So he leaves, and he's headed back, basically, to Ethiopian with no answers. So basically, the angel said, I want you to go, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell the truth to this Ethiopian eunuch that Jesus is the Messiah. And when, basically, Philip went there, he didn't know where he was going. He'd never seen the man. And then when he got there, and the kind of the caravan came by, and the Holy Spirit said, Go up and show the man the verses in the Old Testament. So he went to the Old Testament, and he proved that Jesus had fulfilled what the Bible said he should do. And the next thing is, he became a Christian, and then all of a sudden he said, wow, I finally found the answer from you. Where are you from? Whatever. Well, I'm from Samaria, and an angel came and told me to do this. And then all of a sudden Philip says, okay, you're a Christian now. That's good. Next thing you have to do, you have to be baptized in water. So they found some water. He went to the water. He did all of that. And basically, it was a beautiful picture. Now, where does this Ethiopian eunuch go? Back to Ethiopia. Where does he take? He takes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see how God works? It's just amazing. Philip honored it. The will of God was to go to Gaza. He did everything God did. The Ethiopian eunuch went back home. And the, by the way, when you, go to Jew, when you go to Israel sometimes... There's Ethiopian Jews who have been born again in Israel. Lots of them. All those years ago. See, God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, when you see all of that, here's what happens. So the last, basically, verse 40, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched, <laughs> I can't believe it, snatched Philip away. We don't know exactly what that meant. Probably like the Holy Spirit. Here we go. And he goes all the way to Caesarea. He goes all the way there. Now, there's some understanding that he even stopped on the way some, maybe left him a little short, and he talked to other cities. But he ends up in Caesarea. So for the last 20 years, Philip ended up in Caesarea where he and his family had been serving God faithfully for the last 20 years. So here's a great picture. Think of that, 20 years and you're going to see his daughters, they're just consistent. So here's God's will to write down. Be a consistent and faithful disciple just like Philip. He, you, 20 years ago, he said, well, no, I gave up on God. No, 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 no. Just be consistent. Satan wants you to be that way. Uh, uh, inconsistent. God wants you to be consistent. Now, as I look around, I just want to say, because many of you have been here for a long time. This next... Next March will be 30 years as a church. God has been blessing us. And all of you guys that have been here for so long, and you new people now, they're more regular than ever, wonderful. I just want to say thank you. Thank you, because you're serving with your heart, your soul, and your mind, and that encourages me. Thank you for being faithful, just like Philip was. Now, watch me. This is Philip's home. Hey, hon, I'll get the door. Philip goes to the door. Who, who are you? 
Now, remember, 20 years difference. You got it right. 20 years difference. Ever look at your pictures from 20 years ago and say, was that me? Yeah, exactly. Now, so he's there, and Paul says, well, my name is Paul. It used to be Saul. Honey, stand away from the door, please. You can imagine what his emotions are. Here's the guy that caused his whole life to be turned upside down, moved out where he wanted to be. And how's he going to handle those emotions? Well, Philip was spirit-filled. Here's what he knew. If God sent Paul, who used to be Saul, to my door, God has a purpose for this. That can't just happen. God had a purpose for this. So he stands there, and he just basically says, God has orchestrated that. Let me learn something from this. Now, think of that. A former energy comes to stay as a guest in your home. And I'm sure when they were there, he's trying to say, what happened with your name change? Why your life looks like it's changed totally. Do you believe in Jesus now? Well, of course. I talked to him from heaven. And that would have been a great visitation. Now, here's what I want you to write. God's will is to see lives changed. That's what he saw. You talk about a huge change. People that was killing Christians who now was a Christian himself. Paul writes this in the Bible because he knew it was an amazing thing God did in his life. Look at it. Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and his wisdom and his knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and methods. God is still changing lives today. Don't ever, ever for any of us lose the wonder of a changed life. No person is beyond God changing them into a follower of Jesus Christ. Not one. God can change any person. You guys that are listening, you're not Christians yet, he can change you at the end of the service, and it will change you for life. So just listen up. Now, basically, Philip had a, basically, verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters. They were virgins who had the gift of prophecy. Now, look at this. Here's my kind of statement to you, God's will. Men and women are to use their spiritual gifts. Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, mentions the minister gift of Philip's four daughters, the gift of prophecy. The New Testament affirms that women and men are equal, of course, in God's eyes, even though they may have different roles in the home and the church. This was radical in those days, thousands of years ago, that a very male-dominated society ran the whole system. But it had changed totally because of the New Testament. Now, basically, Paul knew that was right because Peter had predicted on the day of Pentecost a change. Look at here. In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Look what it goes to. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So that just balances out that that was the ta- basically the starting of women and men serving in the church. Different gifts, different roles. But I just want to say, start with, and men, I want you to get ready. I just want you to, in a moment, clap for the ladies that are here because they, they are very, very valuable to our church because they have lots of different gifts that men don't have. They're just different. So would you just clap for the ladies that are serving us? <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, I, I want you ladies to clap for those guys that you're attached to. Come on. There you go. And as I look out there, does it matter what color skin you are? Does it matter how old you are or how tall you are like me? No, God loves us all. Amen? We're the same. We're made out of the same everything. The DNA, all of us. We came from Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. Now, so watch this. After we had been down there a number of days, they're still at Philip's house, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now watch what happens. Verse 11. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it. Paul's probably trying to say, what what do you mean taking my belt? And he took that belt of Paul's and wrapped it around his hands, and then he wrapped it around his feet. He was doing a visual for the Apostle Paul. And what he said was this. The Holy Spirit says, remember, he's a prophet. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, this is very interesting because we have another challenge for Paul and God's will. Remember, this prophet, Agabus, who had earlier predicted a famine in Judea, it took place. And Paul is thinking, this guy is usually right on from God because he had the gift. So Agabus predicts through the Holy Spirit that Paul will be bound and handed over to the Jews if he continues to go to Jerusalem. Well, verse 12, when we, which is some of the groups, people that were with Paul, but basically Luke, heard this, we and the people there, Agabus is there, Paul's there, pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Do not go there. Because Paul's friends loved him, they all plead with him, don't go. This is another clear warning to Paul. What will he do? He's not confused, but he's wondering, how do I respond to this? Look at this verse in Acts 21, 13. Look at this verse. Then Paul answered. He's answering his own question. What am I going to do? Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? So that promise, supposedly from the Holy Spirit, was breaking his heart. I am ready not only to be bound... It's specific, 
for this prediction. I am ready not only to be bound, but look at this, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. See, he didn't care. He was already with Christ. He knew where he was going to go when he died. He says, there's Jews all over Jerusalem, and they don't know Jesus Christ. He says, it's okay. I'm ready to be bound, and we'll see more next week. He's going to get beat up like crazy. But he says, I'm also ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14. And when he would not be dissuaded, that was his answer to them, which probably shocked them, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Say it with me. The Lord's will be done. Come on. The Lord's will be done. They knew he's going forward, and he believed that it was the Holy Spirit. That's a great statement. The Lord's will be done. Now, long before this challenge, Paul had already made up his mind to always do the will of God no matter what. I'm a finisher. God told me, I don't care about the issues, the side issues. I'm going forward. So there's lots of different, basically, Paul had already made his mind up. I'm going that way. That was him. He's, he's all in. We call it like that. I believe that the Holy Spirit, here's the solution. He's confused, but not really confused. But the people are confused. Why is the Holy Spirit saying this? Why are the people saying this? Don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. And many commentators, when you read the commentaries, they're confused themselves. People can't come to the answer. So this is a, I think, a good balanced answer of what was really happening. Because I, I read this from a great commentator, and I thought, okay, that's the answer. So watch me on the overhead. Let me ask you these questions right now. When you had, was Paul right or was Paul wrong to go to Jerusalem? Did Paul obey God or did he disobey God? Well, here's what I came up with. I believe that the Holy Spirit had told Paul to go to, to Jerusalem to prepare him for the dangers that would come. It wouldn't be a shock to him. It's going to be tough. Paul, are you okay with it? Yes, I am. So there it is. And then the second part is this. Prepare him for the dangers, not to prevent him, scaring him, going to Jerusalem. So Paul was right. He obeyed God, God's will. When God says to do it, then we need to just do it. That's what he said. You warned me? Thank you. That's better than a surprise getting in and finding out I'm going to be beat up and so forth. By the way, next week, you'll know, God opens the door and supernaturally makes a way for Paul. So God had that already. Paul doesn't know that, but you'll see it next week. Now, Romans 9, 1 through 3. This is a very moving verse. Paul writes, With Christ as my witness... I speak with utter, utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief 
for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Now look at this. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Wow. As very close to Jesus, I'll die for the whole world, said there, come to Christ. Paul says, I'll do the same thing, different, not on the cross, but who knows what he means. But his heart, what do you see there? That's Paul's heart for who? The Jews. He's a Jew. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. If I have to give up everything and, and I just walk away from God, and that will save my Jewish brothers or sisters, I'm all in. Now, that only can come from God. You and I couldn't make that our plan by self. Impossible. Now, look at verse 15. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. <laughs> Guess who lost right there? Satan. He got there. So there's one defeat for Satan. He's trying to keep him with all these other people not to go there. Verse 16. Now, some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. So he's going, oh, this is a good start. This is a good start. I don't know when the other start's going to happen, but this is good. Verse 18. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's Jesus' half-brother. And all the elders were present. Verse 19, after greeting them, I'll read this in the New Living, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among him through the Gentiles in his ministry. Remember, he had three missionary journeys, and most of that, there were Jews, but most of them were Gentiles, and God had just blessed. So he gave them this detail of all those missions that he'd been on. Verse 20, when they heard this, they praised God because they knew Jews were saved too. And then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed? So they came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But look at the last part of that. And all of them are zealous for the law. So they can't break the law in the Old Testament from the new covenant of Jesus dying. They were very thankful also for the offering that came that brought food, money, and so forth. And the leaders tell Paul that while he has been gone, thousands of Jews have become believers. But they were very sensitive. You must keep the law. And, of course, that goes totally against. The law has been destroyed, and it's there. God gave us the law to help a lot in the Old Testament, but in the end, nobody could keep the law. Nobody. That's why he basically can save us with grace. Now, look what happens. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. This rumor was a lie from Satan. Absolutely a lie. Paul never said that, but got them so angry because they were into the law, even though they accepted Christ. Man, he, Satan was after them. So the Christian community of Jerusalem heard these false rumors about Paul. They heard he had become essentially anti-Jewish. 
absolutely a lie. And basically, the, the Jewish Christians said it was wrong to continue in those things. He said, I never, ever, ever did that. Now, here's the solution, and we'll be through in a moment. Look at verse 22 to 24. What shall we do? The leaders are saying, how are you going to solve that problem between Jesus is alive with grace, and of course we know Jesus died for us. The blood of Jesus saves us, but the law is over. It's finished. It's been moved to Jesus, and it's grace and trusting by faith. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come here to do what we tell you. So here's their solution. There are four men with us who have made a vow. That would have been a Nazarite vow where they get their head shaved and so forth and become more pure for a period of time. These men join in the perfect, uh, they've already joined in the purification rites and pay you, we want you to pay their expenses. How about that? So that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you but you, that you yourself are living in the obedience of the law. Verse 26. The next day, Paul took them in and purified himself among with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Now, Paul, we don't think, ever did that. Remember the offerings in the Old Testament would be for sin, it would be for peace, it would be for all things. And the offering was killing an animal and spilling their blood. And basically, Jesus did all of that on the cross. He shared his blood. That's why we're going to sell communion in a moment. And that one time solved sin for the whole world, not coming over and over and over again with more of these basically purification uh, things happening and then giving and killing an animal. So when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up a whole crowd and seized him. They claimed that Paul was against the Jews and the law, but these accusations were unfounded. Here we go. Lying Satan is at work again. But next week, you will see something very powerful. God basically will rescue Paul supernaturally. Now, why was Paul in Jerusalem? Here it is. God sent Paul to Jerusalem to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Seek and save the lost. See, most of the Jews, even today, don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. But God is also doing a work in Israel. I've been there numbers of times and seen this. God is just opening the eyes of many Jews today, and they're believing in Jesus Christ totally as their personal Savior. That's a beautiful thing. But there's many, still 2,000 years ago, are like them. They don't believe that. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come, but he's already come. So here's my last God's will. God wants everyone to have a personal relation with Jesus. Now, those of you that are not Christians or those of you that used to be, but you've walked away, I have a question for you in love. Are you ready to do God's will? Are you ready to admit that you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for you. He paid for your sins. It is finished. It's over. But the next step is you to actually say to God, I'm sorry I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins, and I 
ready to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. Quietly, you pray it under your voice, wherever you're at, online, our campuses, here, up in the balcony, wherever you're at. Pray that prayer, mean it to God, and the minute you pray that, your whole life will change. So just repeat this after me. Basically, here's a promise that you have from Paul. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, 100%. Here we go. Today, God, I know I've been reminded I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross, not only for my sin, but for everyone. And you were resurrected from the dead, proving that you were the Messiah. So today, I turn from my sins and I choose to follow you as my Savior and my Lord. I know, Gal, this salvation is a gift. I never could have been good enough to earn it. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me. And today, I'm excited. I begin a whole new life, and I look forward to a life of joy, hope, purpose, and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just give you a little opening. Let me get my computer, my, actually my iPad open, when you are going to be interested in the teaching today. As we study Acts 21, that's where you can turn to in your Bibles or your iPads or iPhones, Acts 21, we're going to see Paul going to Jerusalem. And as he goes, there's going to be a lot of basically problems. He knows that God told him to go there. He's going to see many other people say, no, the Holy Spirit says, Paul, you can't go there. It's too dangerous. Don't go there. Now, many commentators, as they study this passage, it's this, this, this. Well, he wasn't right. No, he was right. He didn't hear God. Oh, yes, he did hear God. So I'll try to solve that for you, but it's a kind of a dicey thing that goes through. But the ending is very, very powerful, so you'll see what this does. When we get to the end, you'll discover there's a difference between the end of the law and the grace when Jesus Christ went to the cross. You cannot become a Christian by earning it. Keeping the law, nobody could keep the law anyway. When Jesus came, he took care of our sin problem. Could we hear an amen right there? It's not, that's why we're going to celebrate communion. Now, if you turn in your Bibles, as I said, to Acts 21. Today's title is this, Trust God's Will in Every Situation. Now, this is where it's going. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that God's will is always the best for us. You and I could never come up with a better plan as God directs us every day in his will. What to do? The steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered by the Lord. 
Now, every Christ follower wants to know and to do God's will. Now, we know that because our role model is Jesus. Now, watch his two statements, John 6, 38. You guys online and those watching for our other campuses. For I have come down from heaven, Jesus speaking, not to do my will, but to the will of him who sent me. So you already know, Jesus didn't come here to have his own will. The Father told him what to do, and he did it. Now look at next. John 4, 34. My food, which means my purpose, why I, when I get up in the morning, why am I doing that, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We learned last week that Paul said the same thing. He says, I want to go and I want to finish what God asked me to do and whatever. I want to finish it with joy and so that God knows where he placed me, how he gave me the three missions, trips. I want to finish it with joy. And I told you last week, all of us really want to finish. Wherever God has placed you and he keeps you there, just want to finish it with joy. Amen. We want to do what God wants. Now, you're going to discover that Paul believes he knows the will of God for this trip. He absolutely knows it's going to be there. So pay attention to this verse. Acts 20, I have it for you, 22 and 23. And now, Paul speaking, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that will happen, what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, now think of that, every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So we'll explain that as we get to the end. So he knows God says to go. I'm compelled to go to Jerusalem. Remember, he's a Jew, and he loves the Jewish people. Now, Paul believes he should go to Jerusalem because he wants to celebrate Pentecost. You know, when thousands of Jews came from all over the world. And remember, he's carrying a gift of money from many churches of Gentiles because the Jerusalem people were hurting. They didn't have food and so forth. So he is bringing that gift uh, and delivering that gift of money, which have been connect, uh, basically given by many of the Gentile churches. So he's, that's the second reason. But as he goes now, you're going to see he's going to leave, and he's going to head up there to Jerusalem. When you hear why it says up to Jerusalem, it's because Jerusalem is high. It's not a low place. It's a high place. He says he's going to hear other voices telling him that this trip to Jerusalem is not the will of God. And so he's going to have to balance that and figure out what he's going to do. Now, for all of us, there are hindrances to knowing God's will. Here's the big one for us. Our old sin nature says I want my will, God. If I need it, I'll talk to you. I want my will. It doesn't work that way. It's dead end after dead end after dead end. Second, Satan 
lies to us. Oh, that is not what God told you to do. You didn't hear God at all. Well, what is Satan? He's a liar. So never believe Satan. Never. He's very deceptive. And you're going to see it many times at the end of this teaching. And number three, sometimes other people will say, well, Pastor Mark, I doubt that's what God said to you. Well, I know maybe they mean well, but if God's going to speak to us, I'll take what God says to me. You got it? Okay. Now, let's see what we can learn doing uh, the will of God as we watch the Apostle Paul struggle through this. Now, Acts 21, 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, just stop and look at me. Where had he been last week? He's at the church of Ephesus, and he says, all his younger disciples, you're going to take over for me. I'm leaving. I'll probably never be back again to see you. And they all got down and cried because he was leaving. So here's where it says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, that's what he's talking about, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes, and from there, Batara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board, and set sail. We just got on and headed there. Verse 3, after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south, we sailed to Syria. As I read that, I wondered, I hope you have a triple A thing telling you how to get where you're going. This guy's going everywhere. Now, we landed at Tyre. Our ship was to unload its cargo. Verse 4, finding, keyword, the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Now, he doesn't know these disciples, but he's going to stay with them for seven days. I'm going to give you a, quite a few God wills and little statements after them. So if you want to write them, they're actually good for you to write because it helps us to do this because you and I have the will of God often, every day. God directs us different ways. So look at it. God's will. Be a disciple of Christ. You see, step one when you come to Christ is salvation. But it never just ends there. Step two is becoming a disciple of Christ. And a disciple is simply a lifelong learner under discipline. That's the great commission that God gave all of us. And so, basically, when you see that, Paul knows, if he's around these disciples that he doesn't know yet, he knows that he can be used, that God directed him there for a purpose, to build them up and encourage them. Now, how long is Paul going to stay with these disciples? Seven days. Seven days. So, here's something interesting. God's will. Practice hospitality. See, Paul loved to be around people. He loved to be around people because he knew he could be, basically, I already said, to take them and move them on. That's what he did on his missionary tours. He took these new believers, made them disciples, and they grew and grew and grew. Now, here's something else. Basically, God's will. Practice hospitality. I remember many years ago, I taught this sermon, open heart, open home. And so 
the homes where these disciples were opened it up to basically Paul to stay there. They didn't know him. This is his first time there, but they, they were just open. So First Peter, Paul says this, this. No, he's, he knows what Peter said. Watch this. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So he simply basically opens the home. Paul goes in there saying, come on in. Come on in. We've heard about you, but we've never met you. This will be good. This will help the disciples even grow more. So come on in. Now, years ago, when we had started this church, we put in a commons. We put in a commons. And when we did that, it had a cafe with it as well, as you know. Many of you are out there uh, listening from the cafe right now. And all of a sudden, uh, a, lo a local news reporter wrote me. And I didn't remember where that article was from, but he basically called and said this. He said, I couldn't get over a church has a cafe. This was many years ago when we put it in. And he says, where people can just fellowship with one another. And I basically had related to him and said, well, we did that because people like to fellowship with one another. They like to hang out together. And, uh, and basically, he went, okay, and it was okay. Now, let me just say something. Thank you. You and I need to continue to hang out. We need to continue to invite people to your home once in a while, have somebody invite you to home once in a while. You know, what the Bible says is together is what? Is better. Hello? Has, has the virus tried to kill that? Yeah, but God hasn't. God hasn't at all. Now, when you think all of that, it's just a beautiful picture. So I just want to encourage you. Get into a small group. We're getting started in small groups in the fall. Just get in them. They'll be ready. And great fellowship will happen. Now, Acts 21 through 14. Here we go. Though the Spirit, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now here, here's the spirit. These disciples. God's will. Be a spirit-filled disciple. So while Paul is in Tyre, some of the spirit-filled disciples told Paul through prophecy that he would experience trouble in Jerusalem. And they're saying to him, do not go there. So here's a situation where Paul is confused. He knew God said to go there. But now he's confused. Did I not hear God right? Because these are spirit-filled disciples. We say the spirit told us, urged Paul, no, don't go. Now, did these believers through the same spirit that Paul heard? Was there a contradiction with the Holy Spirit? No, the Holy Spirit is never a person that contradicts what he says. So we know Paul was not surprised with the trouble that the Holy Spirit predicted. Remember, God had already said, yes, I want you to go to Jerusalem, but there's going to be trouble. He wanted to warn him up front. So right after Saul, Paul became a believer in Jesus. 
God used a man called Ananias. Now, let me just go back for a moment. Paul, whose name was Saul, he hated Jesus. He was killing Christians everywhere in Israel. He was in, uh, going to Damascus, and he was going to grab more Christians, kill them, put them in jail. And he was there. All of a sudden, he hears a voice and a light from heaven, and it was Jesus. And he says, Paul... I am the Messiah. You don't believe in me. You tell me that's ridiculous. Well, I'm speaking to you from heaven. I am the Jews' Messiah. I have come and I died on the cross for you. So as that happened, his eyes were blinded. And he said, I'm going to call to the Spirit a man named Ananias. Now, he's a believer in Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm sending Saul to your house. And Ananias goes, who are you sending to my house? Uh, Saul kills Christians. He'll know I'm a Christian. Are you sure, God? God says, absolutely. And I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to ask you to touch him, heal his eyes so his eyes can be open. Number two, I want you to lay your hands on him because he needs to be filled with the Spirit of God because he can't do what I'm going to ask him to do. And then he says... To Ananias, I'm going to show you what Paul's future is, and you will have to tell him. Now, that's dicey. Now, here's what it was. Take a look, Acts 9, 15 and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So who are his focus? Gentiles. Still loves Jews. Focus is what God's saying. You'll be fine with the Jews. I know you will. But I'm telling you, the Gentiles don't understand anything about Jesus. And so I want you, that's going to be a focus for you, and they're kings and the people, obviously, of Israel, before the people. Now, look at the last line. I will show him Paul has got this truth from Ananias right to his mind. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, how about getting that plan from God? You will suffer if you serve me. Well, that's exactly what God said. So he knew that he had the right plan. He knew that God spoke to him. That was at the start before he even really had one or two days as being a Christian. This is brand new for him. So the Spirit didn't tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It was the people who urged Paul not to go because naturally they loved him and they were basically anxious about his safety. Now look at verse 5. But when our time was up, they left after that seven days. We left and continued on our way. All the disciples, their wives, and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. Look at verse 6. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. So all the families came together with their children on the beach, and they basically 
prayed. Now, here's a picture of something that's hugely important. Look at the top of this. Look at the top before the picture. God's will. Parents, be a godly role model for your family. Make sure you're praying together. That's what was happening. As Paul leaves, they all get together and they pray. Now, the, the adults would have prayed for Paul what? Protect him while he's there. The kids don't know that. But guys, this is huge. Linda and I have a prayer list on our dinner tables just in the kitchen. And we write people... And then when God takes care of it and answers prayer, or we have to add new people. Just the other day, we had numbers of prayers answered, and we had to add new people that are sick. We pray for them. By the, by the way, we, we pray for our son and daughter, and we pray for our grandkids because they're always calling us and want answers to questions. They're Christians and whatever. Those things are beautiful. Guys, when we're having a child and is born into our life, that child is not just a child. That child is an eternal soul forever. And we have to love our kids enough to pray for them and be with them. And let me just read this. I wrote it down because I think it's so important. Nothing can take the place of a parent taking time with their own children, sharing Bible truths, and praying with them. That's how I got saved. My mom and dad came into my room when I was five years old. And they said, Mark, do you want to be a Christian? I said, yes, I don't understand all of it, but I do want to be a Christian and go to heaven. They kneel down and pray. I'll never forget it. And that's, guess I'm 77. Look how long. That was God. So I just want to challenge you. Nothing can take the place. Nothing can take the place of a child student watching their parent also live a real Christian life at home and serve God at church because they really want to please God. Thank you. So maybe you've moved away from that. I'm not saying you do it every morning or anything like that, but don't forget your children and your grandchildren. When we go out to Denver and we see our grandchildren, you know, they're older, older, older now, and that means I'm getting older, older, older now, and we all just walk with them some days by myself, my wife, and we just pray for them right there. Because this world for kids and youth is difficult, very difficult. But we sang this morning, God is greater. God is greater. So thank you for listening and get there and do what we just said. Now, verse 8, leaving, seven, sorry. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them only one day. Verse 8, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. By the way, in uh, next week on Monday, we leave for Israel. We will be in Caesarea. Maybe I'll be able to do a video right from there because you'll remember it when we get there. This is the same Philip. Notice, leaving that day, they got there and they stayed at the house of Philip. Now, notice in that verse, the evangelist. Interesting change in Philip's life, an evangelist. Now, when you see all of that happening, uh, when you watch the name Philip, this is the same Philip that we saw 20 years before. So all this time, he's been in Caesarea. And he's, when he started 
in Jerusalem, that's where he started before his girls were born and all of that, he was one of those people called basically uh, a deacon. The church was exploding in Jerusalem, but then there was arguments between the Greek and the Jewish um, moms and, and older ladies, and nobody's feeding us balanced. And so basically the apostles said, look, we're going to get some disciples there. We're going to call them deacons and get them ready. So they got seven deacons, and they solved that problem. Now, after they got that problem solved, basically it was good, but Saul entered as an enemy to the church. Now, here, let me show you what it is. Acts 8.1. Saul was there. Look at me for a moment. Stephen was a great Christian. And he went before the Jews, and he spent a long sermon proving them from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. They missed it. And they got so mad at Stephen, the Jews, they stoned him to death. And Paul was at the back doing this. Get rid of the idiot. He's a liar. There is, Jesus is not the Messiah. And so, let's go back to what we were reading. He loved Stephen being murdered. So, notice what it says. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day, watch what happens. A great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. It was panicking. The other Christians are going, are we going to end up like Stephen? And here's what happened. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So Saul, who later became Paul, had a death wish for all of the Christians. So he had watched that stoning. And now the church, the people that were in Jerusalem, Christians, they had to scatter to the other parts of Israel. And Philip was one that was scattered and he was scattered to Samaria. He left Jerusalem and went to that other area where he began using a new gift that God gave him when he was there. It was the gift of an evangelist. While Philip was there, God began to work in his life supernaturally. An angel came to Philip and said to Philip, I want you to go to Gaza out in the wilderness and meet a man from Ethiopia. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. He had been in Israel, in Jerusalem, trying to find out if Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't really have much background at all. And of course, in Jerusalem, they're going to say, oh, definitely not the Messiah. Definitely not the Messiah at all. So he leaves, and he's headed back, basically, to Ethiopian with no answers. So Basically, the angel said, I want you to go, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell the truth to this Ethiopian eunuch, that Jesus is the Messiah. And when, basically, Philip went there, he didn't know where he was going. He'd never seen the man. And then when he got there, and the kind of the caravan came by, and the Holy Spirit said, go up and show the man the verses in the Old Testament. So he went to the Old Testament, and he proved that Jesus had fulfilled what the Bible said he should do. And the next thing is, he became a Christian, 
And then all of a sudden he said, wow, I finally found the answer from you. Where are you from? Whatever. Well, I'm from Samaria. And an angel came and told me to do this. And then all of a sudden Philip says, okay, you're a Christian now. That's good. Next thing you have to do, you have to be baptized in water. So they found some water. He went to the water. He did all of that. And basically, it was a beautiful picture. Now, where does this Ethiopian unit go? Back to Ethiopia. Where does he take? He takes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see how God works? It's just amazing. Philip honored it. The will of God was to go to Gaza. He did everything God did. The Ethiopian eunuch went back home. And the, by the way, when you, go to Jew, when you go to Israel sometimes, there's Ethiopian Jews who have been born again in Israel. Lots of them. All those years ago. See, God knew exactly what he was doing. Now, when you see all of that, here's what happens. So the last, basically, verse 40, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched, <laughs> I can't believe it, snatched Philip away. We don't know exactly what that meant. Probably like the Holy Spirit. Woo! Here we go. And he goes all the way to Caesarea. He goes all the way there. Now, there's some understanding that he even stopped on the way some, maybe left him a little short, and he talked to other cities, but he ends up in Caesarea. So for the last 20 years, Philip ended up in Caesarea where he and his family had been serving God faithfully for the last 20 years. So here's a great picture. Think of that, 20 years and you're going to see his daughters, they're just consistent. So here's God's will to write down. Be a consistent and faithful disciple just like Philip. He, you, 20 years ago, he said, well, no, I gave up on God. No, 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 no. Just be consistent. Satan wants you to be that way, uh, uh, inconsistent. God wants you to be consistent. Now, as I look around, I just want to say, because many of you have been here for a long time. This next... Next March will be 30 years as a church. God has been blessing us. And all of you guys that have been here for so long, and you new people now, they're more regular than ever, wonderful. I just want to say thank you. Thank you, because you're serving with your heart, your soul, and your mind, and that encourages me. Thank you for being faithful, just like Philip was. Now, watch me. This is Philip's home. Hey, hon, I'll get the door. Philip goes to the door. Who, who are you? Now, remember, 20 years difference. You got it right. 20 years difference. Ever look at your pictures from 20 years ago and say, was that me? Yeah, exactly. Now, so he's there, and Paul says, well, my name is Paul. It used to be Saul. Honey? Stand away from the door, please. <laughs> you can imagine what his emotions are. Here's the guy that caused his whole life to be turned upside down, moved out where he wanted to be. And how's he going to handle those emotions? Well, Philip was spirit-filled. Here's what he knew. If God sent Paul, who used to be Saul, to my door, God has a purpose for this. That can't just happen. God had a purpose for this. So he stands there, and he just basically says, God has orchestrated that. Let me learn something from this. Now, 
think of that. A former energy comes to stay as a guest in your home. And I'm sure when they were there, he's trying to say, what happened with your name change? Why your life looks like it's changed totally. Do you believe in Jesus now? Well, of course. I talked to him from heaven. And that would have been a great visitation. Now, here's what I want you to write. God's will is to see lives changed. That's what he saw. You talk about a huge change. People that was killing Christians who now was a Christian himself. Paul writes this in the Bible because he knew it was an amazing thing God did in his life. Look at it. Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his riches and his wisdom and his knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and methods. God is still changing lives today. Don't ever, ever for any of us lose the wonder of a changed life. No person is beyond God changing them into a follower of Jesus Christ. Not one. God can change any person. You guys that are listening, you're not Christians yet, he can change you at the end of the service, and it will change you for life. So just listen up. Now, basically, Philip had a, basically, verse 9, he had four unmarried daughters. They were virgins who had the gift of prophecy. Now, look at this. Here's my kind of statement to you, God's will. Men and women are to use their spiritual gifts. Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, mentions the minister gift of Philip's four daughters, the gift of prophecy. The New Testament affirms that women and men are equal, of course, in God's eyes, even though they may have different roles in the home and the church. This was radical in those days, thousands of years ago, that a very male-dominated society ran the whole system. But it had changed totally because of the New Testament. Now, basically, Paul knew that was right because Peter had predicted on the day of Pentecost a change. Look at here. In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Look what it goes to. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So that just balances out that that was the ta- basically the starting of women and men serving in the church, different gifts, different roles. But I just want to say, start with, and men, I want you to get ready. I just want you to, in a moment, clap for the ladies that are here because they, they are very, very valuable to our church because they have lots of different gifts that men don't have. They're just different. So would you just clap for the ladies that are serving us? <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Now... I want you ladies to clap for those guys that you're attached to. Come on. There you go. And as I look out there, does it matter what color skin you are? Does it matter how old you are or how tall you are like me? No, God loves us all. Amen? 
We're the same. We're, we're made out of the same everything. The DNA, all of us. We came from Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. Now, so watch this. After we had been down there a number of days, they're still at Philip's house, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now watch what happens. Verse 11. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it. Paul's probably trying to say, what, what do you mean taking my belt? And he took that belt of Paul's and wrapped it around his hands, and then he wrapped it around his feet. He was doing a visual for the Apostle Paul. And what he said was this. The Holy Spirit says, remember, he's a prophet, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now, this is very interesting because we have another challenge for Paul and God's will. Remember, this prophet, Agabus, who had earlier predicted a famine in Judea, it took place. And Paul is thinking, this guy is usually right on from God because he had the gift. So Agabus predicts through the Holy Spirit that Paul will be bound and handed over to the Jews if he continues to go to Jerusalem. Well, verse 12. When we, which is some of the groups, people that were with Paul, but basically Luke, heard this, we in the people there, Agabus is there, Paul's there, pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Do not go there. Because Paul's friends loved him, they all plead with him, don't go. This is another clear warning to Paul. What will he do? He's not confused, but he's wondering, how do I respond to this? Look at this verse in Acts 21, 13. Look at this verse. Then Paul answered. He's answering his own question. What am I going to do? Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? So that promise, supposedly from the Holy Spirit, was breaking his heart. I am ready not only to be bound. It's specific for this prediction. I am ready not only to be bound, but look at this, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. See, he didn't care. He was already with Christ. He knew where he was going to go when he died. He says, there's Jews all over Jerusalem, and they don't know Jesus Christ. He says, it's okay. I'm ready to be bound, and we'll see more next week. He's going to get beat up like crazy. But he says, I'm also ready to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14. And when he would not be dissuaded, that was his answer to them, which probably shocked them, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Say it with me. The Lord's will be done. Come on. The Lord's will be done. They knew he's going forward, and he believed that it was the Holy Spirit. 
That's a great statement. The Lord's will be done. Now, long before this challenge, Paul had already made up his mind to always do the will of God no matter what. I'm a finisher. God told me, I don't care about the issues, the side issues. I'm going forward. So there's lots of different, basically, Paul had already made his mind up. I'm going that way. That was him. He's, he's all in. We call it like that. I believe that the Holy Spirit, here's the solution. He's confused, but not really confused. But the people are confused. Why is the Holy Spirit saying this? Why are the people saying this? Don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. And many commentators, when you read the commentaries, they're confused themselves. People can't come to the answer. So this is a, I think, a good balanced answer of what was really happening. Because I, I read this from a great commentator, and I thought, okay, that's the answer. So watch me on the overhead. Let me ask you these questions right now. When you had, was Paul right or was Paul wrong to go to Jerusalem? Did Paul obey God? Or did he disobey God? Well, here's what I came up with. I believe that the Holy Spirit had told Paul to go to, to Jerusalem to prepare him for the dangers that would come. It wouldn't be a shock to him. It's going to be tough, Paul. Are you okay with it? Yes, I am. So there it is. And then the second part is this. Prepare him for the dangers, not to prevent him, scaring him, going to Jerusalem. So Paul was right. He obeyed God, God's will. When God says to do it, then we need to just do it. That's what he said. You warned me? Thank you. That's better than a surprise getting in and finding out I'm going to be beat up and so forth. By the way, Next week, you'll know, God opens the door and supernaturally makes a way for Paul. So God had that already. Paul doesn't know that, but you'll see it next week. Now, Romans 9, 1 through 3. This is a very moving verse. Paul writes, With Christ as my witness, I speak with other, utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Now look at this. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Wow. As very close to Jesus, I'll die for the whole world, said there, come to Christ. Paul says, I'll do the same thing, different, not on the cross, but who knows what he means. But his heart, what do you see there? That's Paul's heart for who? The Jews. He's a Jew. That's why he's going to Jerusalem. If I have to give up everything and, and I just walk away from God, and that will save my Jewish brothers or sisters, I'm all in. Now that only can come from God. You and I couldn't make that our plan by ourselves. Impossible. Now, look at verse 15. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. <laughs> Guess who lost? Right there. Satan. 
he got there. So there's one defeat for Satan. He's trying to keep him with all these other people not to go there. Verse 16. Now, some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. So he's going, oh, this is a good start. This is a good start. I don't know when the other start's going to happen, but this is good. Verse 18, the next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's Jesus' half-brother. And all the elders were present. Verse 19, after greeting them, I'll read this in the New Living, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among him through the Gentiles in his ministry. Remember, he had three missionary journeys, and most of that there were Jews, but most of them were Gentiles. And God had just blessed. So he gave him this detail of all those missions that he'd been on. Verse 20. When they heard this, they praised God because they knew Jews were saved too. And then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed? So they came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But look at the last part of that. And all of them are zealous for the law. So they can't break the law in the Old Testament from the new covenant of Jesus dying. They were very thankful also for the offering that came that brought food, money, and so forth. And the leaders tell Paul that while he has been gone, thousands of Jews have become believers, but they were very sensitive. You must keep the law. And, of course, that goes totally against. The law has been destroyed, and it's there. God gave us the law to help a lot in the Old Testament, but in the end, nobody could keep the law. Nobody. That's why he basically can save us with grace. Now, look what happens. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. This rumor was a lie from Satan. Absolutely a lie. Paul never said that, but got them so angry because they were into the law, even though they accepted Christ. Man, he, Satan was after them. So the Christian community of Jerusalem heard these false rumors about Paul. They heard he had become essentially anti-Jewish, absolutely a lie. And basically, the, the Jewish Christians said it was wrong to continue in those things. He said, I never, ever, ever did that. Now, here's the solution, and we'll be through in a moment. Look at verse 22 to 24. What shall we do? The leaders are saying, how are you going to solve that problem between Jesus is alive with grace, and of course, we know Jesus died for us. The blood of Jesus saves us, but the law is over. It's finished. It's been moved to Jesus, and it's grace and trusting by faith. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come here to do what we tell you. So here's their solution. There are four men with us who have made a vow. That would have been a Nazarite vow where they get their head shaved and so forth and become more pure for a period of time. These men join in the perfect, uh, they've already joined in the purification rites and pay you, we want you to pay their expenses. How about that? So that they can have their heads shaved. 
then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but you, that you yourself are living in the obedience of the law. Verse 26. The next day, Paul took them in and purified himself among with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Now, Paul, we don't think, ever did that. Remember the offerings in the Old Testament would be for sin, it would be for peace, it would be for all things. And the offering was killing an animal and spilling their blood. And basically, Jesus did all of that on the cross. He shared his blood. That's why we're going to sell communion in a moment. And that one time solved sin for the whole world not coming over and over and over again with more of these basically purification uh, things happening and then giving and killing an animal. So when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up a whole crowd and seized him. They claimed that Paul was against the Jews and the law, but these accusations were unfounded here we go, lying Satan is at work again. But next week, you will see something very powerful. God basically will rescue Paul supernaturally. Now, why was Paul in Jerusalem? Here it is. God sent Paul to Jerusalem to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Seek and save the lost. See, most of the Jews, even today, don't believe Jesus was a Messiah. But God is also doing a work in Israel. I've been there numbers of times and seen this. God is just opening the eyes of many Jews today, and they're believing in Jesus Christ totally as their personal Savior. That's a beautiful thing. But there's many, still 2,000 years ago, are like them. They don't believe that. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come, but he's already come. So here's my last God's will. God wants everyone to have a personal relation with Jesus. Now, those of you that are not Christians or those of you that used to be, but you've walked away, I have a question for you in love. Are you ready to do God's will? Are you ready to admit that you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for you. He paid for your sins. It is finished. It's over. But the next step is you to actually say to God, I'm sorry I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins, and I'm ready to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer. Quietly, you pray it under your voice, wherever you're at, online, our campuses, here, up in the balcony, wherever you're at. Pray that prayer, mean it to God, and the minute you pray that, your whole life will change. So just repeat this after me. Basically, here's a promise that you have from Paul. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, 100%. Here we go. Today, God, I know I've been reminded I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross, not only for my sin, but for everyone. And you were resurrected from the dead, proving that you were the Messiah. So today, I turn from my sins, and I choose to follow you 
as my Savior and my Lord. I know, gal, this salvation is a gift. I never could have been good enough to earn it. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me. And today, I'm excited. I begin a whole new life, and I look forward to a life of joy, hope, purpose, and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>